What's up, everybody? Happy Sunday, or I guess maybe it'll be Monday when you listen to it. Happy Sunday, Monday. Uh, this is Matt DeMarinas from Light and Blue Review, sitting here with Johnny Atawa from the Omaha World Herald. After uh, Creighton, North Florida, conducting an experiment to see who would win in a fight between a Blue Jay and an Osprey, and it was a good tussle, but the Blue Jay prevailed, 76-67. Um... Jay's improved to four and one. North Florida falls to four and three. Uh, Johnny missed the first twenty minutes because I was watching volleyball. Uh, just because that's it's volleyball state, and you know there's things to do and stuff. Wow. Um, and because Creighton is apparently intent on just scheduling as many events every day as possible um, for the foreseeable future. Uh, so, as always, would you lead off with your thoughts? I mean, it was sort of the classic tale of two halves, I guess. Okay. How did... Uh, when Creighton... What was the difference for Creighton, in your opinion, in the first half? And why they ultimately trailed by five going into the break? And how they flipped it so quickly? And I mean, in the first half, that? offensively, I thought they got great shots. Really? They just didn't fall. Um, There's maybe a couple situations where they forced it, but... They had shots at the rim that they missed and open threes. Like Tyson airballed a three at one point. I was like, "What?" You know, there's just they didn't. They looked like a little flat-footed, okay, perhaps, but they just missed good shots. Ballet pulled one from deep and it rattled in and out. You know, just like that. To me, that was what defined the first half offensively. Um, so they I don't got, think they it got was really, what they wanted. They just didn't get the result. Yeah, okay, I, honestly. And right. Coach McDermott said that that impacted their attitude on defense which is it, it could I mean I think it was 8-22 to 22 to start the game offensively which wasn't good was obviously not good mm-hmm. um, and I don't know the, the, because North Florida stretches the floor or can stretch the floor so much <coughs> it does put a um, an added importance on Creighton's defenders to be locked in and focused in a one-on-one setting stop the ball as best you can obviously and help one another when when uh you're going through screens and you got to communicate and so they just weren't there at the level that they needed to be in the first half mm-hmm. um but i i guess just generally i thought north florida was more aggressive and had sort of a more assertive mentality early on and it got lucky a couple times i think because those long you shoot threes you get long rebounds and they just happened to be maybe they was a credit to North Florida for more North Florida's guys for being quicker to the ball, but sometimes I think it the ball just landed in a bad spot and Creighton wasn't there. Um, I think, but the coach McDermott mentioned something about like the Jays maybe sticking to shooters. You go out close out on a shooter, and, and then they leak, leak out. They, yeah, yeah the, those guys leaked out instead of turning and trying to get back into the fight mm-hmm. to go get the the loose ball rebound. Um, so they they fixed that, but I mean. Keeping North Florida off the glass in the second half was obviously a a, a big change, but I thought that Creighton, um, in addition to that, brought some more activity, more energy, more sort of just alert plays, mm-hmm. um, which the players will say is a result of them communicating a little bit better and then also just making that mental switch to say, like, look, we're going to be better defensively now. And so they were in yeah, the second half. One thing I thought was interesting was how much energy they had in the second half. Because I thought they really they let their defense kind of set the tone, and they played off of that offensively. They, you know, I think they got sixteen of sixteen of twenty missed shots. What is that? Eighty percent defense rebounding percentage. Yeah. 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 So they grabbed eighty percent after. That was second half. Yeah, second yeah. half. So they gave up eight offensive boards in the first half. It, four but, on one Matt, it was seven. It was seven of the first fourteen misses oh, for really? offensive boards for okay. uh, for North Florida. Oh yeah, so Creighton really cleaned that up then. Yeah, um, but it seemed like instead of just like forcing the pace, they brought just a little bit more intensity defensively. They were communicating better. They were rebounding better. Um, they were securing the possession. You know what I mean? Like getting the stop and then running off of that letting that kind of dictate the game which I think was you know again I, I, I know I, I think I've said this a couple times and it might sound it's, not, it's only five games in but I don't think this is the type of game forget the opponent this is the type of game they would have won last year because they had to do it in a way that they just didn't know how to at this point last year so I think that's another it is a good sign that they were able to win it with on the defensive glass 
getting stops and running off of that, and, and the players talked about that in post game that they just kind of let their defense at the tone and they played off yeah. of that and it gave them energy as opposed to when they weren't shooting the ball last year. Well, last year that would affect all other areas of the game. It would get them frustrated. And it did and, affect them in the first half, by the way, I think. Okay. Um, but it didn't linger. But to only be down five, I think Marcus mentioned that's something that the five-point deficit in the face of not shooting the ball well is... Yeah, it could have easily is, been is, 10. Okay. Yeah, okay. that's true. So, But, <coughs> hey, credit to Marcus Zagorowski, too. I mean, like, he, they, they struggled to find their footing defensively for much of that first half, but he um, he was a spark offensively. Like, mm-hmm. he kind of just put his head down and was like, I'm going to make some plays real quick. I think he, when, when North Florida went up nine midway through the first half, he scored nine, nine straight points for Creighton. Oh, really? And kind of kept it. Kept when the Jays are still in the, the <coughs> funk and not kind of playing, it seemed, with a lot of confidence offensively for mm-hmm. whatever reason, or maybe the shots just weren't falling. I don't know. But um, Marcus kind of turned it up, made uh, a driving layup. I think he hit a jumper, um, hit a three, I know. He just looked like uh, he was he was pretty determined in that moment. Sensing the game was, like, kind of teetering early yeah. in favor of the Florida. Florida was yeah. getting ready to push it away. Right. So, but then, and then Creighton found its groove offensively late in that first half, I thought, and then carried it over into the second. Yeah, they were really sharp in the second half. I mean, I just thought they looked really fresh. I think, in the, you know, in terms of they were they, there's a lot of concern about how um, how much their how their legs are going to respond to the pace they're going to play here and then you know with three games two games left in the next four days yeah Thursday right? Friday five days um, and, and having to be a, you know so I, I I didn't think that was as much of a concern today because it seemed like they were they were fresher in the second half and yeah. they didn't seem as flat I didn't see any lulls. You know they would they would there were stretches where they didn't score, but I don't think they weren't getting. I don't think they weren't moving the. I don't think they ever weren't moving the ball. Ever weren't cutting, screening, uh, crashing the glass, and getting good shots. I felt like they were locked in for a twenty minute stretch there in the second half, which was I, I don't know. It, it felt it, like it, it felt like it was sustained more. Yeah, it felt like uh, Coach McDermott was more. Um, like he made a point to cycle those guys in and out in the first half yeah. a little bit more. Um, there were some funky lineups on the floor at times in the first half. There was one. She tried to borrow Mitch and Marcus a spell in the second half when they were up and, like Yeah, that was so. in the second half. Yeah. Just for, like, right before a media timeout on that one. Yeah. But yeah. It, in the first half, even more so. <coughs> oh, like, really? Like, yeah, they... <coughs> they so you played the long game is what you're saying? I think so. Okay. And I would imagine that will be the formula going forward is, like, in the first half, well, you're going to have to try to get those guys off the floor a little bit more. Mm-hmm. And... <clears throat> like Jet played six minutes in the first half, and, and Sharif played nine. So <coughs> I thought that there was kind of you know they tried uh, tried to get those guys some breaks early, and then in, in, and in the second half too. You know, I thought one of the things that helped Creighton a little bit was like the the timeouts, just the timing of the timeouts just fit well for the Jays, so they could kind of recharge quickly and then go at them again. Yeah. Um, I do. I am kind of curious, by the way, just because you know, in the second half, Creighton did ramp up its defensive intensity. Right. I I am curious in a in a moment, maybe it's Thursday or in a couple weeks, if they they were rewarded today for ramping up their defensive intensity. It led to some fast break opportunities. Um, you know they got hot and started hitting shots. I wonder what if those shots weren't still weren't falling, you know? Like, what okay. if it's just a bad shooting day? They haven't had a bad shooting like day. Like, the second half started the way the first half did where they were missing shots and getting stopped, yeah. basically? Okay. Yeah. yeah, and so I wonder, can they... Like, how long can they... Can they actually sustain sort of that resilience and keep the energy up defensively, even if you don't... Because they're not really built to win like that, right? I mean, Probably I, not. I, yeah, because yeah. if you figure if you're not... If they're not hitting threes and getting to the free throw line, I feel like they're not doing anything they need to do offensively in terms of how they're built because they're not going to—they're not going to be able to throw the ball in the post and make guys go get buckets yeah. basically that way. So it's basically—it's going to be all be generated by, you know, f- things facing the basket, whether it's, you know, catch and shoots, spot ups, or getting to the rim, um, and drawing fouls that way. I, you know, when, so when you when you think about the first half and they're only down—I mean, they're down five, but I mean they were three of thirteen from three and they didn't attempt a free throw like. Mm-hmm. I don't think Creighton's going to win many halves 
doing that kind of no, yeah. doing those kind of numbers. So I mean, you know, the turnovers weren't a big deal. They only had five. It's just you only have two offensive boards on your seventeen misses. You're not expecting them to be a a, a plus thirty percent offensive rebounding team, right? You know what I mean? So their opportunities are basically going to have to be cashed in when they get them because they're not going to get many second chances. Although, in the second half, they were better on the offensive glass. I thought Damian Jefferson, if he's not fully back, which I think, you know, Greg McDermott alluded to the fact that he's close but not quite. I mean, he's looking pretty good yeah. these last two games. I feel like it's a big jump, if anything. If it's not, if he's not fully back, he's pretty, he's pretty darn close. Um, his elevation and everything looks elevation great. Elevation, and, and he got a, uh, I think, I, th- I thought Coach McDermott mentioned after the game. Maybe not, but it's, if not, it was like Damien's ability to switch screens and kind of be, mm-hmm. um, they went they went small, obviously, for they stretches, did. and he had to play the five. But his, you know, his versatility <coughs> to battle in the post, even though that North Florida didn't have a ton of size, obviously, no. but no. – um, you know he was undersized down there, so he battled in the post. And then when they set North Florida set screens on the outside, um, he they could switch without a problem with DJ, and he could guard a guard, a true like guard. So um, yeah, that was he was good there, and then good obviously on the glass, offensive glass. Like even if there were a couple of times I remember he was like out there battling and maybe didn't get it, mm-hmm. maybe Creighton didn't get it, but his he was still there, having an impact. But his he had a. Offensive rebound put back on like Marcus Segarowski drove to the rim and got blocked or had to shoot it over a shot blocker or something and DJ was there for the the put back and one and then I, he had one in, in transition on a fast break when where Sharif Mitchell missed a layup and and uh, Jefferson cleaned it up so those are two I know and then yeah, um, yeah they, they, they got credited with sixteen second chance points in the second half yeah only one for you North Florida I don't I don't I'm kind of I, I don't know if it's true, but I'm trying to look back at it. If they scored on every offensive rebound they got, because they got seven, they scored 16 points. You know what I mean? That's pretty. Yeah. That's pretty efficient. That's pretty efficient yeah. in terms of your second, in terms of cashing in your second opportunities. Because um, North Florida had eight in the first half, and they only scored 12 second chance points. So not right. so their efficiency in terms of and then if you can remember back to the Michigan game where Creighton had 18, and I think only yeah. scored. 13, yes, I believe, right. off those 18. So right. uh, they were. Yeah, so the, how, the ability many, to make those many, extended possessions count. Right. right. There seemed like a lot of them. Because they're demoralizing when you give it up in the first place. When you also score off of it, you're, you're basically landing it's body blows, blows the whole yeah, time. Yeah. yeah, you know what I mean? Um, so that was big for sure. Uh, Mitch Ballack was great on the glass. Um, he had nine defensive rebounds, I think. Six in the second half or five? He had five in the second half. Um, for Five his, defensive rebounds. In the yeah, half. yeah, yeah. Because they only they only gave up four offensive boards in the second half, um, and, and and it was only one for the first twelve minutes of the second half. Right, they right. gave up a couple late in the game, but yeah, and it led to the only points it led to was uh, they they fouled uh, a guy inside. Oh, by the way, on two. that one that they gave up, I'm pretty sure Tyson <laughs> Alexander had the ball in his hands. It was he like did. kind of weird. Where I think two he guys did. battled for it or something on the same team, and then it just happened to land. I, I think there were three Creighton guys around the ball, and somehow it squirted <laughs> into the hands to, of the yeah, North and they yeah. fouled him. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so they essentially, I mean, but Mitch was great in the second half. I think he had, he had 12 of his 15 in the second half, and he had finished with 11 rebounds. Um, he had four assists and only one turnover. He actually should have had like seven assists, but. Um, He's behind the back pass to DJ. He didn't shoot it. He drove it, so he loses yeah, the dime there. That was a nice um, pass. And then he had another one, and I inside DJ missed the missed the contested layup, left it a little short. Um, so yeah, he could have had more than four. So he got jobbed a little bit, but it is one. DJ four to one. assist turnover ratio is still pretty good. Yeah, you'll go home okay with that as a as a player in his position. Um, I thought they were really good against the zone. I know every time Creighton fans hear zone, they have. PTSD um, from the end of 13-14 season, but I don't know. I still think it's... I'll have I to, mean, you said it multiple times. You're like, I don't know why anybody even considers playing zone against this team. And, would never. And I, I thought, I thought in terms of the shots they got and the, and the way they kind of pieced it apart with the pass and and then flash into the high post, I thought they did a really good job of of finding space in the zone and, and compromising it. Honestly, good shots. the start... To start the game, they got great shots against really? the zone, and then North Florida went man, 
hitting. <coughs> Still got, I thought, pretty good shots, but that's when the drought happened when, when North Florida went man. I think North Florida showed a 1-3-1 one, one at 1.2 mm-hmm. and then has its, like, traditional sort of funky zone. I think, what did they say? Like, they're, one of their assistants was on Baylor's staff, so it kind of looks like Baylor's zone. So if fans, like, did. You're really adding to the yeah, if, if, right if, if you found, <laughs> if a Creighton fan was, like, watching that thinking, like, why does, like, you know, my, like, head hurt right now and mm-hmm. I don't know why. Like, why am I dizzy? Yeah. <laughs> like, I can't breathe. What's yeah. happening? What was uh, it yeah, with Baylor's own like back in the day like they could all if they all outstretch their arms they basically cover the entire court because <laughs> yeah, like that's how much yeah. length they have with yeah. it. That was the same. Uh, I remember I asked a Baylor this was after Creighton lost to Baylor a couple of years ago in Kansas City and I asked a Baylor player like what what kind of zone is it? Like what is it? And he's like I don't know it's got Drew's zone. Like it's it's just his zone. It's not a one three one. It's not a two not three. three. Sometimes it looks like a four one. Yeah, no. <laughs> like, I don't know. What it it looked like a four one in San Antonio because they were just like they were. They, they, it was like it was like a rainbow around the arc. Yeah. And then Isaiah, uh, what's his? What was his last name? What was that kid's name? That yeah, that he had the Austin. Eye problem. Isaiah yeah, Austin. Austin. Yeah. yeah. Uh, he was basically just standing there as a seven foot six monster saying go ahead come in here <laughs> like he just handed he basically covered a like a you know a 50 right. foot area um by himself so yeah it looked like a 4-1 in san antonio because yeah. they were just like they were touching rocky the whole time they were touching doug the whole time and they never they just hugged the perimeter well they awesome in the middle i feel like creighton ran about three or four different lob plays yeah against that zone that uh all most for the most of them for the most part they all seem to work but mm-hmm. um yeah, so I think I one two three, four five six. They got six points in the first six possessions against the zone to start the game, mm-hmm. and uh, it was like a layup, a dunk, a floater, and then they missed two open threes in that stretch too. So uh, Christian Bishop traveled. That was the other empty possession. But otherwise, I thought that they they were ready for that. Yeah, with one day prep, I think mm-hmm. that's encouraging for this team. But. Um, well, it I think makes it a lot easier. By the way, they have really good. They have guys with good vision, and they can, you know, and they're and they're really unselfish. Yeah. Sometimes to a fault. So and I think they that's shoot it so well. There's yeah. a one play I remember, and I thought I'd actually see more of this from Creighton. So credit to them, where the ball I don't think entered the paint, but just the way that the floor was spaced. Mm-hmm. I think Marcus Zagorowski like faked a pass to Mitch, took one dribble, and then had a shooting window, and he just shot it. You know, without kind of browsing or perusing the zone a little bit he just was like oh i'm open i'm gonna shoot it and then he buried it mm-hmm. i thought we'd see a little bit more of that because i feel like that we've seen that at times where creighton kind of just settles for the jump shot even though you know they have good shooters it's just like it's a it's a better shot when you kick it out from the interior of the zone and you <coughs> it's a catch and shoot in rhythm shot instead mm-hmm. of like pulling up as well the jumper but marcus still hit it anyway so yeah uh yeah, but they, it was it was a you know you, it's, it's you a asked about it a lot in the post game and Mitch talked about it uh, in the tunnel that they just have really good feel for each other and uh, you know they're all unselfish to begin with but they also can shoot the heck out of it at the same time so they know that to beat the zone making the extra play is the most dangerous weapon because you can usually find an open rhythm shot against it because it's not moving with you um, or players aren't moving with you so. You know, he, he they feel pretty confident when they when they face that type of a defense that they can make the right play and um, you know as long as they're not kicking the ball around that they'll find a good shot against yeah. it eventually. And I thought they did. Yep. Um, defensively, we've talked about it a little bit. Let's get specific though, because um, Greg McDermott brought this up and uh, it, it it ends up being the key to the game when you think about the result. Um, it was JT Escobar and. Ivan Gandia Rosa had nine points. They were both averaging double figures, both shooting 45% plus from three coming in. and um, They go three for 21 total, one for 14 from three. I mean, Creighton really really put them in an icebox all day. Yeah. I mean, then you mentioned Marcus Zagorowski's defense was key to that because he was all over Gandia Rosa. Yeah, he was big. They said they wanted to keep uh, Gandia Rosa off his off left his hand. Left hand yeah. um, and, and Marcus so, made him drive right a lot. Yeah. And he had trouble finishing with it, right, too. Finishing yeah. right, yeah. So that was obviously a key. And then I thought Tyshawn did a good job of just, like, keep forcing Escobar to put the ball on the floor mm-hmm. and not let him shoot because he's got a pretty quick trigger. A lot of those guys do on that team. Where yep. they, they, they don't need much space to get the jump shot off. Nope. And uh, – and so Tyshawn was just there bothering him. I thought he was, they 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 did well to keep those guys crowd. 
and it, I think it helps too. Those guys, they're they're shorter, uh, not incredibly long, and so Creighton could kind of bother. I think like Tyshawn's length bothered yeah. Escobar. That's well, what you it looked get, like. You can get low into a stance and, yeah. and not be compromised with guys being able to shoot over you. So yeah. like that's right. I mean that's the way Marcus guards. So um, yeah, they were able to just you know stay into the ball a little bit and disrupt it and make things tough for those two. I thought that was a pretty big a pretty big key to the to the whole deal because. Those guys never got going in any regard. Right. Um, and in the, the second half, I mean, North Florida, 26% from the field. Uh, you know, Creighton really closed that game out with a big-time defensive stretch. Like, it wasn't just stretches of good defense. It was an entire half that was built off of just getting stops and running off of that. And then the other – well, I was going to note, too, about this. It's the second time now in – Three games because the Cal Poly game they didn't really need to do anything at the end, but right. Louisiana Tech and and North Florida were <coughs> defensively they've kind of risen to the occasion mm-hmm. in the final four minutes. I, now I'll probably go back and look to see exactly what the specific numbers were at Louisiana Tech against Louisiana Tech. I don't remember. I just remember that they got some stops and then they switched to a one three one for the final like, maybe like minute and a half of that game and got mm-hmm. more stops. And then today. Um, North Florida pulled within it was seventy sixty two after a three, and and uh, so they were down eight. And North Florida had the ball, and North Florida missed like five shots in a row. Yeah, and, so, and they had already got they they had scored I think four or six in a row at that point. Something like that. Eight, yeah, they so were yeah. kind of feeling good. Yeah. North Florida was, yeah. and you were wondering like, okay, like is it going to get within a couple possessions here, or like how uh, is Crane going to be able to close this off, close this out? And I thought they did a good job. And I think in that stretch, I'm not 100% sure, but I think they were going with five guards yep. at, at that point. So, um, obviously, they did a good job of keeping them, keeping them <coughs> off their glass and, and guarding as best they could. Um, we talked a little bit about Tyshawn, but, uh, you know, we both mentioned uh, during the game that we felt like he was all over the place. Uh, you know, he scored 11 points in the second half, but it wasn't just that because he was really crashing the glass. He was really making an extra effort plays, um, chasing after those 50-50 balls. And, you know, Marcus Zagorowski talked about, you know, their hustle plays that maybe weren't there in the first half that made the difference in the second half. Yeah. They were just going after the ball um, relentlessly because, you know, they felt like they needed to create their own energy in that regard. What did you think of Tyshawn's overall performance, not just from his second half scoring, but also in other areas? Yeah, I mean, he, he just seemed really unselfish today. Mm-hmm. And I, I kind of felt that on Friday, too, where he's just like... It forced for, us no turnovers. Yeah, he, not forcing shots. I mean, he ended up taking 13 shots. Mm-hmm. But yeah, how many times last year do you think... I, I can't quantify it, but there were so many instances last year when I was like, eh, I think Tyshawn's forcing a little bit. You know, like, um, he doesn't need to take that shot or forcing this. Like, I don't know if he's taking a bad three-pointer this year. Yeah. That may be a stretch. Maybe there's a couple in there, but like... Well, the way he's shooting it, he can afford to come bad ones at this point. You <laughs> I know, know but like, like he's, he's not shooting bad shots, and yeah, he's, yeah. and he's. I mean, you're he, saying it's the reason he's been so good. That's what I think. Yeah. Um, he I, he won more to pass to. I told you he yeah. in the first half he won more to pass to Jack Canfield, the walk on. I actually got a text he, message about that. Oh really? Yeah, you mentioned that, and I just and I checked my phone later, and like someone texted me like, "What's what uh, Tyshawn had a had a shot, a yeah. good look, and he gave up a, for a better one to Jet. Jet missed it, but like to me, that's that. I circled that play in my mind because I'm like, I think Tyshawn's like taking another step as a as a playmaker, and um, the willingness, the willingness to do that, whether it's the right thing to do in that moment or not, whether you should be more selfish in that moment or not, the willingness to do that, the fact that that's kind of ingrained in who this team is at the moment through five games, it it bodes well for the future because they're going to need to be unselfish against teams that are physically more capable of shutting down their pieces. Yeah. So, you know, they're going to have to move the ball to, to get good shots he had against a, these people. He had a nice finish in the first half in transition. Uh, left-hand uh, fast break, like, drive. I liked it. He's good in that. Um, going downhill. Going downhill. Yeah. I think it was, like, one-on-two. One-on-one with a, one recovering, I think mm-hmm. it was. Uh, but I think I think Marcus mentioned Ty. Well, I mean Marcus didn't get a chance to work on it, but I think they've all gotten better at going downhill. And and uh, I mean it was a, it was a big point of emphasis for them in the spring and, and summer uh, to be able to finish and, and you know finish tough, finish over contested, uh, over tough over tough contests, and you know off wrong foot and 
in unconventional ways, and I feel like they they've all kind of upped their game in that regard because they're yeah. not really afraid to take it into contact. They're you know they know ways to get around it while also drawing it and maybe getting to the free throw line. Well, um, anyway, you mentioned Tyson just activity level. I thought he yeah, was, yeah. He was, I thought he was good. Had a, uh, got his hand on the ball in a couple of situations, deflections, and then there, I know he had a steal where he switched onto. Um, one of North Florida's players who was trying to post, and he fought him for position and got out in front of him and and intercepted a pass, um, which I thought was a good play by Tashon. There are a lot, like a lot of you mentioned those hustle plays. I mean, <coughs> that was one. Uh, Marcus Zagorowski deflected a pass and dove on the floor, got a steal. Um, well, one really good, remember, se- one really big time sequence was Sharif Mitchell checked into the game and immediately got a just took the ball away from the dude so went he, down missed the layup dj was there to clean it up right. you, i think you mentioned that player yeah. earlier but that was a big sequence because that I, was i literally was sharif being a pest and dj hustling after it in transition. I, I, yeah because you don't give up on the play right that was that's important yeah you don't you don't assume that he, that sharif's gonna finish that. yeah although he's made some sharif's made some tough finishes oh, in transition yeah, for sure but yeah he missed that one anyway sharif was locking up you could tell he was like kind of uh sort of getting up in that guy's like on that he's on that dude's hip mm-hmm. i heard a fan say something like rip it you know or like yeah. he's now start he's developed this reputation <laughs> where now like, people are like oh man he's gonna he's about to take that ball they're like, they're they're like, to steal every single yeah, time he's exactly. on the ball basically but I, you yeah, know what it, it reminds some... me of when i was watching him do it is like i don't know if you watch like uh boxing or mma at all but like there's this like there's this drill that fighters do and it's like a hand-eye coordination drill and it's basically like it's not punching, but it's tapping. You know, it's like a, it's like a it's like a light switch basically. So it's like green, you tap; red, you faint, and stuff like that. Right. Um, but it basically enhances your hand-eye coordination and hand speed and all that stuff. And I wonder if like Sharif's ever like worked with one of those things before because when he's on the ball, he's just like constantly like fainting, jabbing, like constantly making a ball handler like, oh, what's going on here? Right. And then. When you get caught in between a move, that's when he's got you. Yeah. Because then he's basically dribbling the ball for you, and that's kind of how that steal happens. So right. I wonder if he's ever done any kind of hand-eye coordination drills like that because it seems like his hands are like they're lightning quick. fast. Yeah, they're so quick. Yeah. There's no question. Um, should we go to questions? Yeah. Okay. We actually did a good couple, even though we only put it out for after the game, but people want to know. And actually, one of them I, was, I didn't know the answer to, but then I saw you just posted a story, so you will be able to answer it. Um, starting with um, this is starting with Alex. Uh, Alex and Laura wants to know what are your, what are your worst Thanksgiving Day experiences? So there's multiple. I don't really have any bad ones. Do you have any? Bad I don't ones? have any bad ones. Thanksgiving Day is the best day. This one might be near the time I got to work at like nine o'clock. That's oh, gonna yeah. stink. I'm uh, being a food coma, having to try to watch basketball and write about it. So that's going to be that's going to be disappointing. But uh, I don't know. I I uh, I'm trying to think. Thanksgiving is great. You get family and you get food, and usually get some some football in there. I'm never had a bad one. Um. Uh, yeah, I don't. I don't have any bad Thanksgiving days. I'm trying to think. We've had some pretty fun Thanksgiving Day experiences. I think one, uh, one when I was a kid, uh, uh, we we always go to my grandparents' house, and um, my uncle was I don't know in his in his thirties, but he was like kind of like thirty going to eight on eighteen, so he was really immature. And my grandpa was watching football, and my uncle took the uh, took the like spare remote or whatever. And he went outside and he would like mess with the TV, like change the channel, turn it off, and and then we were done eating at that point, so everybody had kind of dispersed and gone to different areas. So like we were socializing in different spots of the house, and my grandpa didn't wasn't wasn't in tune to where my uncle was, so he's like kind of cursing at the TV and asking. Uh, my grandma's name was Josephine. He was like, "Joe, what's going on with this damn?" Like you know, he would get very very cranky about what's going on, and we would just all be busting up laughing yeah. in a different room so that's good yeah that, that's a that's a memory i have from thanksgiving some little pranks i, I do grandpa. i kind of remember uh in college once um partying a little bit too hard and having oh. to drive home uh with I, I mean it was a top five hangover there's no question about that <laughs> so that hour and a half hour 45 minute drive, i remember no i was driving so 
West Lafayette, I, I grew up in Terre Haute, Indiana, so there, there's some interstate driving, but there's some two-lane roads. Yeah, Creighton fans will know that name for sure. I drove west out of West Lafayette, and all of a sudden I realized I was in Illinois. Oh, no. I was like, what? I mean, Terre Haute's right on the border with Illinois, yeah. so like, it wasn't too far out of the way, but I just was driving unaware. You're, that, really, you're yeah. like, where am I going? Wait right. a minute. Hold up. <laughs> yeah. So that was, my body was hurting that day. Yeah. But, but sure, yeah. Nothing a little turkey could have fixed. Yeah, my, I don't think I've ever drank. I don't ever, I've never been hungover on Thanksgiving, but I have drank after Thanksgiving. Like, penny pitchers at a piano bar and too many of those. Right. I mean. But the Wednesday before is like, I mean. Drinking before Thanksgiving? Yeah, that Wednesday night because everyone, no one, oh, especially when. That'd be brutal. It's not, it's, it's something I wouldn't What's advise. What's like but, when you're that hungover? Like, I would be. Yeah, it, was, it was a tough day. Yeah, I bet. Um, so, yeah, no. Other than other than post Thanksgiving hangovers, my experiences are usually pretty good. Yeah. Um, this is from Brendan. Brendan, sorry, Brendan Leppert wants to know: Did Wyndham refuse the redshirt? No idea why Jet uh, played seven minutes in the first half against the court. That's a harsh question. Um, no, he didn't refuse the redshirt. They they needed to play, but yeah, it's um, kind of like the Christian Bishop scenario. Well, Christian wanted to play last yes. year, so that's part of it. But like, I think it's similar to that in in. You know, if you remember, Christian barely played for at least the first month and a half of uh-huh. the season, and it took him time to kind of find a role. And it, I mean, as it turned out, Epperson went down and was done for the year, and so they needed he like he he got more opportunities because of that. But he also progressed. It took him a while to kind of settle in, and I wonder <laughs> if that's gonna what's going on with Jalen too. Mm-hmm. Um, perhaps I mean, he's he can, a fr- true freshman. Like, yeah, there's gonna be a transition, right? Like, we, I mean, and they, they couldn't af- they not, couldn't afford to redshirt him because you know get, look at what their roster is right now and imagine if like Tyshawn Alexander twists an ankle yeah. you know in a game yeah. and then suddenly or or he's out for a week or some last year remember he yep. like tweaked his knee and he was Just out for a game, a game. Yeah. like if that's a scenario like you, <coughs> you're not gonna survive that that's that's just uh they they needed bodies and so for him sure, sure it stinks to lose that year if this is how it's going to go for the rest of the season. But, I mean, that's kind of how most – It's not like you can't redshirt. doesn't happen in basketball very much. Right. I mean, like, it's not like you can't redshirt next year if they have bodies in front of them either. Like that's, yeah. I mean, Flan's done that on the women's side. And if he were to – I mean, <clears throat> I don't want to – if he were to transfer, he could redshirt that – he doesn't lose a yeah, year of exactly. eligibility in that. Right. I, that's why I, I, I've always thought – I mean, it's important from a player standpoint to keep your options as long as you can keep them. Yeah. Right. And I've, I've always, but I mean, right now, Jet's just a more complete basketball player. I, I know people look at him and they don't, they can't believe that. So you, if you look at Jalen Winnem, you look at Jack Canfield, you don't understand why one plays over the other. But in terms of like what Creighton wants to do and how they play and being just, uh, you know, having a big higher basketball IQ right now, Jet's ahead of him. So that's why he yeah. plays over Jalen. They're not in the same position either. So that's the other part of it. Yeah, Chalen told me he was working some four. Yeah, so uh, and some definitely, definitely some three. A lot yeah. of three. Um, and so and, the position there is not. There's not an open spot at those positions for Jalen, which is why Jet plays. Because there's yeah, yeah. Um, another question about Williams. We just answered all that. Uh, Royce Mater wants to know who is replacing Murphy. Take it away. John? Well, I don't know who's replacing. Yeah, no, Chris. sorry, that, I did that tease that too much. Uh, John's got the. No, he doesn't. I'm just kidding. Um, but we do have. He does have an update on that. Well, I just asked Coach McDermott because good job. Coach, Coach McDermott mentioned job. something about. I think he mentioned on the post game radio show on Friday that he was eager or in, uh, willing to look to hire an assistant coach before the end of the season. I mean, I think my presumption was that Creighton would. Just it has rolled so far with two full time assistants for the last yeah. eight months. It would just continue to do that until. But they are technically short in recruiting. Yeah, they are, yeah. and that's important. Right. But any, uh, but I thought I thought Creighton might just try to wait until April. The traditional sort of like coaching carousel opens at that point, and then you can find you'll have a group, large pool of candidates to choose from. But mm-hmm. it seems that, uh, as you said. It's well. It's important to have a third assistant, and yes. so Greg McDermott's going to go looking. And he, I don't know, he didn't make any guarantees, but he said like, if we find the right fit, we're going to hire somebody right. soon. <coughs> so like, like he's well. He said he's got a couple candidates that he's uh, been in contact with, so he may have an answer. And uh, I mean, he's a pretty. I mean, the hiring track record. It, I mean, 
it's tough to say that in the current state when Preston's got, you know, uh, the investigation going on. So maybe, like, if I were to say the hiring track record's been good. Uh, but Preston was did bring some good players here, and, and Al Huss has turned into a pretty good hire. But yeah. people weren't really sure if he had a lot of experience to, to be an assistant coach at this level, and he's brought in some some important players. And, um, and he's because he, everybody was wondering if he could recruit at this level, and he has. So. Yeah, definitely. I mean, he um, wasn't he responsible single handedly for basically their entire new all their all yeah. their newcomers. Yeah, exactly. this class. Uh, it, since, it was since, it wasn't single handedly. Since obviously, since, since Preston uh, has uh, been. On just, leave, yeah. you know that's he's taken over as the, he, the lead he, guy. He took the lead on a lot of those guys, except Mo. Uh, I mean, he was the lead guy on Tristan and Aruna, which right. is the big target of the offseason. Lead guy on uh, Kelvin Jones, Antoine Jones, yep. uh, Jalen Wyndham. Although uh, Paul Lusk was the lead guy on um, uh, Cockburner, Brian Cockburner. Yeah. So, um, but that was about Lusk was also a good hire from a defensive perspective. So, like, yeah, and know, Al's, done, had, Al's done some work. Al Huss has done some work offensively. Um, some of the things that. Creighton's done within its motion off, motion offense spacing, like Huss has taken the lead in that too. So you're right; those two guys have been good hires. Um, two things that kind of just stand out to me about the current state of affairs is that this is the third time in three years of Creighton's making a change on mm-hmm. its coaching staff from an assistant standpoint. So all for different reasons too, right? And yeah. so you would continuity would, and it's a lot of times it you're gonna replace and change assistance in college basketball but mm-hmm. continuity would be nice for this group I think to create some if it can um, and then <clears throat> as you mentioned about recruiting like this 2021 recruiting cycle for the Jays is, is going to be an important, important one, one. Yeah. yeah they have a lot of open spots I mean it's the class that's going to replace Tyshawn Mitch um, Denzel Mahoney Damian Jefferson so there's a lot of open scholarships and you obviously possibly Jacob Everson depending on his future right, right yeah. and uh, a lot of open scholarships and a lot of potential of playing time to sell. Mm-hmm. Like, and especially given what kind of year these guys are off to, Balak and, and Tyson in particular are going to have like decisions that, to make. Well, yeah. well, you're going to just be able to sell that. It's like, look at what these guys are doing in this offense. Oh, do you want to do this because they're not going to be here when you get here. Mm-hmm. Do you want to like? You ha- it, that's kind of been a challenge. You're going to fill these roles. It's going to have yeah. been a challenge for Creighton over the last two years of like. Hey, look at our offense. Look at what you can do. But the player in his mind's like, "Well, I'm, am I going to play ahead of Mitch, or am I going to play ahead of Tyshawn?" Right. It's hard to like bring those guys in. So now they can sell that and say, "Hey, the job could be yours um, right away." And so that's why twenty twenty one is going to be huge. And obviously, it would help to have three full time assistants on the road. Although they have put Steve Merfeld, who's the assistant to the head yeah. coach, he's been on the road at times. Temporarily yeah, I'm not sure if he's been identifying any new targets, but he has been. Helping it with evaluation, with evaluations yeah. of guys that they've already yeah. targeted and contacted. Yeah, um, but he's like not been he's not been on the road for five years yeah. or so. So I think Toby Hegner was his last get. Yeah, if you're thinking about how long it's been, right? So so that's different than having a, an assistant coach who's been actively recruiting, been to all of the AAU events, been in high schools, kind of working those contacts. On a routinely base, uh, on a routine basis, being on your staff like that's different. Right. Agreed. Uh, Hilltop alum <coughs> wants to know how long can the Jays sustain pace with current depth? Uh, well, they're going to continue to play with pace, so yep. they're going to do it until even if it fails. And then they're hopeful that by the time um, Denzel returns, which and it sounds like Davion is, you know, kind of might be in that same uh I was thinking my, my prediction was Nebraska for Davion, for Davion? Mintz. Yeah. Okay. Um, and that's just that's, a, a guess. That's not a bad one. It's a guess because I haven't talked to Davion about his recovery. <coughs> I mean, Mac did say he started running the pool, so that is a improvement over doing absolutely nothing with the bike, basically. So. Yeah. And he's been doing the, uh, I don't know, what do they call the machine that Jeremy... Uh, Delos. Okay, yeah, he's been doing it's the Delos machine, which it's is basically like, like... It's like balance. Yeah, if balance. You can, if, you can, if you can imagine sort of like standing on a, a piece of plywood that's like that's also balancing on a ball. Yes, that's a good way to That's kind it. of like what it looks like they're doing on the side of the... Like the sidelines of practice, it's basically like and plywood it measures, on like an apple or something like that. Yeah, like and then it, right, yeah. and then it measures things. Um, and I don't know. Uh, Damien said it's pretty difficult. 
the first time you do it. Or Jake, maybe Jacob said it was the first. Yeah, Eberson said it was, the, it was difficult the first time you do it because you're kind of just like unfamiliar. With they're they're barefoot, by the way, on this on this yeah. like wooden. It's not a wood block, but like that's uh, for visual purposes. That's mm-hmm. like what I was trying to create. But yeah, they, yeah, and they can't hold on. I mean, they yeah, can, they can like they can they can brace on the bar, but they right. can't really like they have to be hands on the side right. and stuff like that. So trying to stand up straight, yeah, trying to balance. The Eberson said it's hard the first time you do it, but then you kind of get used to it. So measure stuff obviously helps us add strength to their uh, healing yeah. foot. Um, but yeah, they're going to continue to play with base. Uh, they're they're just committed to. I mean, that's why they brought these guys here, and the you know, and they, and they feel like they can if they manage the the you know practice workload and the recovery in the right way, they feel like they can still do it when the lights turn on. So yeah, so like let's gonna, just continue to moving forward in the same way that they as if they had everybody. Right. It's just there's the guys are going to lock a lot of minutes doing it. So la- this last week they took Sunday off. Yeah. Practice Monday took Tuesday off, and then practice Wednesday, Thursday, played Friday. Practice for forty minutes. Forty minutes sounds like a walkthrough. Yeah, and basically it was a walkthrough on the defensive end. Yeah. Essentially, yeah. Uh, on Saturday, played Sunday. They will take Monday off. They'll mm-hmm. practice Tuesday and then leave. Leave. Um, and I would imagine practice Wednesday, play Thursday, Friday, and probably take Saturday off, and probably maybe even Sunday too. Mm-hmm. So they're taking more off days than they normally would Absolutely. at this time of yeah. the year um, to, to try to help manage it. And I think. Maybe today was an indication, as we said earlier, that, that Coach McDermott is going to try to like mix and match things in the first half to kind of preserve those guys, the starters' legs for, half, for a second stretch. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's what it seemed like today. Yeah, I mean, and it worked. I thought because I think if you want to play with pace, it's really hard to do that if you're if four of your five starters are playing thirty five to thirty eight minutes. So <coughs> absolutely, they kind of did that today again, but there was a little bit more of a break in the first half of those guys. Mm-hmm. Um, Michael Mills has a volleyball question. This is our last one. Uh, he wants to know, is Erica Kostelek expected back for the tournaments, conference tournament, NCAA tournament? Um, Kirsten Bernthal Booth likes to keep that stuff pretty close to the chest, if you will. So, it, and I'll, I, you know, and most volleyball coaches I've noticed are pretty, um, you know, unless there's just, unless there's just no concern about from a scouting standpoint, they'll tell you, but other than that, they're very <laughs> protective over the injury situations. I've noticed that with a few different coaches over the years, um, and Kirsten's one of them. But I do not expect her back. It seems like, based on the way her injury has gone from um, brace to bandage to crutches, it feels like she's had um, a pretty significant knee injury that's probably going to keep her out for the rest of the year. That's just my uh, observation. Do you feel like that? Do you agree with that? Or? Yes. Okay. I mean, yeah. So the answer is I've seen like two sets of Nebraska volleyball <laughs> or Nebraska Creighton volleyball this weekend. So yes, yeah, so I'll defer to you on that one. Yeah, we'll say no. She is not expected back from our observation, but we'll try to find out more about that if we can. Um, volleyball did win today uh, to clinch the outright Big East title, so they will not be sharing it for the sixth year in a row. Selfish Jays. Um. It's the seventh time in the last eight years they've won an outright title. They uh, they won their last year in the NBC. I think they went seventeen and one. Um, so it's a, been a trend. That banner's almost full. It's got one year left on it. Otherwise, they're gonna get a new conference championship banner or do, a bit or a bigger one. I've felt that they should have banners for each one. Oh, for NBC and because they only have one Mo Valley title, so it's just gonna be like a little. Thing. No, I I well, I think that they. Need a separate banner for each championship. Yeah, yeah that's what I was saying. But, the Mo Valley, but then the Movali one just like is off by itself. Yeah, it's okay. Twenty twelve is like it just sits by. It. Yeah, it's fine. Oh, I, I just, you know, it's like flexing. It's like I told you two different leagues. Like, I told yeah, you that, that there was some like, oh, it's their <coughs> intro video. The volleyball team's intro video. They have like uh, the players walking down the street, <laughs> and one of them's carrying the trophy. Yeah, and, you're like, and I, I want thought, them all to carry. Trophies. I thought that they should <laughs> carry no all trophies. their trophies in that video, like, or maybe like somebody goes by with a cart yeah. and they've got like ten trophies on the on it or something. You, you like, you know who like, just like, oh, it's such a chore to have to lug these trophies around. <laughs> My gosh, that's should. that's what that's what. Can next you imagine video. In ten years, and it's basically like a Mac truck. Like yeah. they just dump the trophies yeah, out, just open up the yeah. back of it, and it's they're like, like, here we go. <laughs> or, yeah, like a moving van, and, they, and there's it's all trophies. Yeah, my favorite yeah. part of that video though is uh, Jayla Zimmerman because she's walking with one of them, and 
so they're walking the camera's kind of like in the middle and they're walking like beside it as they go by so some of them are making like are making like eye contact with where they're moving and some of them are looking at the camera and some of them are like it's just like there's there's eyes are going different directions right. but Jayla when if you notice she's walking by with the trophy kind of like in her in her hands and she's like looking at the camera like and she's got this look in her eye like like we're the shit like <laughs> you know what I mean like like almost shrugging while it's in her hand, and she's like, "Come and get it, man. This right. is ours, and we've won a lot of them. And we're gonna keep winning yeah. them." Like, uh, she got that look. I thought she—that's uh, my favorite part of the video every time. She has that look in her eye, like, "Yeah, we're we're, we're the best. We know it." Um, and, and they are, and they are again in the Big East. She's two for two in her career. Um, the Megan Ballinger's five for five. That's absurd. Yeah, but yeah, none of those seniors know what it's like to not win the. And as I told you, it was interesting because I remember, I think I was asking, I think on their roster, this was before they lost to Nova, but on their roster, I think they had only, they only had like three players on the team that had lost to a Big East team mm-hmm. in their time at Creighton. So like yeah. most of the program doesn't even know what it's like to lose to a Big East team. Yeah, they ended up losing to Nova, obviously, a couple weeks ago. but Which is basically what all the old seniors did, too. They only yeah. lost to Nova. Like, right. It's, yeah, it's kind of weird. <laughs> Um, it's really impressive what they uh, it is. the consistency that they play with. And well, I mean, especially because it's like it's now it's you know Kirsten mentioned it today. This one, she said, this one feels special to her because it wasn't expected. You know what I mean? There wasn't they they were picked second in the preseason. I thought rightfully so. Mm-hmm. You know, it wasn't out of disrespect. It was just Marquette has so much firepower back, and you're losing your two best hitters of all time. Um, and arguably, arguably your best player of all time. So there was a lot to replace, um, and I think and I think they're going to face the same questions next year. Because when you look at you know to get too far ahead here, I'm sure we'll do a volleyball, uh, you know, uh, have a volleyball discussion when the season's over. Um, but when you look at what's not coming back from next year, seeing like they lost a lot, they answered a lot of questions offensively this year that they're going to have to ask themselves again defensively because they're losing Megan Ballinger, Brittany Witt, um, Madeline Cole at the center is going to be a, you know, a tough And she's record. a good defender too at the right Oh, yeah, yeah, definitely. She's a great back row defender. Well, um, I'm saying at the net and, yeah, and, yeah. And, and on the... Um, but they ask a lot of their setters, so they're going to have an inexperienced setter who's going to have to, you know, be a good blocker because Kirsten wants a good blocker for her setters and also play some back row. So, they, you know, she wants a six rotation setter. So, um you know, they're going to have to answer some questions defensively, but not just that. From a leadership standpoint, you know, Megan Ballinger's been one of the best leaders on this team for, you know, her basically her entire career as soon as she started playing. Um, and Brittany Witt is just, you know, the anchor to their defense for four years. She started as a freshman. So they're going to have to answer some of those same questions that they had to answer, like who's going to replace Jillian Taran? They're going to have to answer those questions in terms of, you know, on the defensive side of the, of the net next year. Um but she said this one feels better, more special because it wasn't expected. Like, they didn't have, you know, a concrete goal of go win the Big East title this year, defend that thing, and um, they, they just wanted to improve as a team, as players, going forward every practice, every game, every match. Um, and then wherever that landed them, they were going to be, you know, they would measure their success. And the fact that it ended up with... Not just a Big East title, but a 17-1 run through the Big East again with their only loss um, being the road match against Villanova here recently. Um, and Sweeping Marquette, who was a, who was having their best year ever in their program's history. You know, to do that, to do that with a top 10 team in your league while you were also answering questions about, you know, while you didn't have Jay Lee and you didn't have Taryn at your disposal um, – to her, it felt like that was it was a really impressive run that this team was able to pull off. So, you know, it's 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 a, it's business as usual, based on what the banner says. But it also wasn't um, set in stone the way maybe some years per they weren't the prohibitive favorite like they were in years past. So that's what makes it more impressive. Um, oh, before we go, women's basketball um, made it a blue state for the fourth year in a row. Speaking of streaks. Um, they went down to Pinnacle Bank Arena this afternoon and beat Nebraska 79-74. Uh, Jalen Agnew had 26 points, 13 rebounds, didn't have a single turnover. Mm. Um, she was incredible. Flan called her a special player like several times in his post-game conversation. So um, 
think that about sums that up for when, when you do something like that on the road. I mean, her career at Pinnacle Bank Arena, first of all, is crazy. But, yeah, they the her and Olivia Elgar go 4-1 and one against Nebraska. And the only loss was the year Jalen redshirted and the year Olivia didn't play. So they basically took over that series. Jaylen's so yeah, for I, oh, she's amazing. She's awesome she might be the best player I've ever seen in women's basketball. Just, I mean, she's she's definitely the best shooter I've ever seen. Yeah, she looks like um, she looks like a, a pro, and I think she might even get a shot at being one. But yeah, that was a big win for them. They're uh, <coughs> excuse me, lone loss is the road loss at Drake, which isn't anything to. Not you know it's a quality loss I guess is what I would say but you know Flanfell they took, they took a step forward today because they they were more assertive offensively and weren't as passive as they were against Drake because he felt like they he was disappointed in the Drake game even though they only, they played well defensively against a really good offensive team he felt like that was a game they could have won had they just had a little bit more belief in themselves offensively and he felt like that was there today along with. Um, the defensive chops they've had this year so far. So he feels like they brought that grittiness to Lincoln, and they also had some mojo offensively that yeah. they didn't they didn't have those lulls. So it was a more complete performance, and he feels like this team's. I was wondering. I was thinking. Feels like you guys got a pretty good squad this year. Wondering if it might have been their most complete performance of the year. Yeah, maybe. Um, How well they shot it. We did have one more question from Rob in Omaha. <laughs> uh, he wanted us to talk about Creighton's last possession. Remember it? Yes. Okay. <laughs> the, yeah, the ball, the ball bonic, the ball bonic play, ball ball. Is that how what do you say it? Ball, worldwide wide is calling it. Yes. The, the ball, ball, ball ball bonic play. Yeah, it's like bubonic play. Bubonic ball ball bonic. Ball bonic. Yeah. Like, yeah. So it's basically when you're about to take a team turnover with a shot clock violation when you're running out the clock. Uh, who has the ball last? Yeah. Is who basically who gets the bad juju from the turnover? Yeah. Even though it counts as a team turnover, it's like it's not an individual turnover. It's not an individual. Right. It's not an individual. But it is like whoever's holding that ball gets the bad juju. None of the basketball players don't want to hold it. Right. Um, so Tyshawn had it. He was dribbling it out. Mitch, being the unselfish man that he is, walked up to Tyshawn and said, "I'll take it." <laughs> Tyshawn said no. Went over to Sharif and said, "It's yours," and basically just. Dumped it off to him, and Sharif had to eat the turnover. He had the ball in yeah. his hands, turned the ball over when the shot clock went off with, like, two seconds left in the game. Right. There was just that, that two-second or three-second differential. Yeah. And and the game was over, and Creighton – I feel like in the NBA you see it where there's no shot clock, right? It's Or is it the shot clock? Yeah, it's the shot clock. It is the shot yeah. clock. Yeah, no. no, it's shot clock and game clock. It's, it's like whoever's like, dribbling right. it out, basically. Yeah. yeah. And in this instance, the freshman got it. Mm-hmm. I mean, the freshman, and Mitch said freshman had to do it. I mean, that's just what the front, yeah, right. that's the role you're in, so you got to eat that. So he's Sharif, gotta, Sharif Sharif laughed about it. He knew what was going on. Like he's he, got he's got to deal with the bad mojo. Yeah. Or Mitch tried. Tyshawn denied it. He's like, no, you're not. This isn't yours. This, right. this, this is, he, he saw Sharif right away, and so there's a freshman on the floor right now. He's taking the turnover. Yeah. So, yeah, that is uh, the recap of Creighton, the breakdown of Creighton's final possession. Um, Which is pretty funny. It is pretty funny. Yeah, I mean, I think it's funny. There's a lot of nuances about basketball that are pretty hilarious when you think about them, and that's one of them. Right. I just think it was funny that Mitch tried to eat that one. Like he walked straight it's up. Like, so he didn't. Unselfish. He wasn't even like, yeah, <laughs> he's so unselfish. He's, he's so like, unselfish. That he literally walked straight to Tyshawn as he was I'll dribbling the ball. The he brought an extra defender right. to Tyshawn. Like they could have just had to pick it 